0: Come with me in your Bibles to Acts 16. Our text this morning is Acts 16, verses 16 through 26. But as we come to listen to God's Word to us, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand what He says. Would you pray with me? O merciful God, incline our hearts to Your Word, And the wonders of your glory wean us from our obsession with trivial things. Open the eyes of our hearts to see each day what the created universe is telling about your glory. Enlighten our minds to see the glory of your Son in the gospel. We believe that you are the all-glorious one and that there is none like you. Help our unbelief. Forgive the wandering of our affections and the undue attention we give to lesser things. Have mercy on us for Christ's sake and fulfill in us your great design to display the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 16, verses 16 through 26. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come up and join me. How's it going? Yeah, come on up. Find a spot. Hey, yeah have a seat guys so let me tell you about something I was walking through some woods with my friend's six year old son all was well until he noticed something it was starting to get dark with that his fears told him that danger was close at hand And he was convinced that whatever it is that happens in the dark was about to happen to him. And seeing that fear, I saw an opportunity to teach him about God's care. So I picked him up, I put him on my shoulders, and I spoke to his growing fears. I said, don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'll defend you. I was trying to give him an example of God's care for us. But the boy's response was just to cry louder. I'm pretty sure that he was hoping that his ear-piercing screams would would bring someone more powerful than me to help. The, The boy knew I loved him, even in a fatherly way. But he also knew that the woods were not a place where I was in charge. If if I had been sitting in my house, if we had been sitting in my house and lightning had taken out the electricity, maybe I would have had a better chance of comforting him. But he knew that I was not the Lord of the woods. Well, in the story that we just read in Acts, we see Paul and Silas and and Luke as well going through some things that would be scarier than the woods at night. They were facing some powerful powers, powerful people, and they received some powerful blows with wooden rods against their bodies. In the story, it says that Paul felt something. He felt greatly annoyed. And I'm pretty sure they all felt pain. But do you know what they did not seem to feel? They did not feel powerfully afraid. And you can tell because they were singing hymns to the Lord even while they were in prison. How? How could somebody suffer like that and sit in a dark prison without fear? Well, it's actually kind of simple. They knew that the God who was with them was more powerful by far. But wherever they were in the world, whatever was happening to them, the maker of heaven and earth was their helper. And he is the Lord who once shut the lion's mouths for Daniel. He is the Lord who created fire. And so he could protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, The, the same Lord who was in control, said that the gates of hell itself would not be strong enough to stand against his church. And so Paul and Silas, they weren't afraid because the Lord who controls everything was with them. And he told them that he would never leave them or forsake them. And you know, he said that same thing to you. You and I may face some frightening things in this world, But we don't have to be frightened by them. Because even though we may suffer because of things or or people that are stronger than us, they aren't stronger than Jesus. As the Lord who conquered death itself, He is powerful enough to rescue us even after the worst thing has happened. The Lord who is with us is greater than any other power that we encounter. And because he says that nothing can separate us from his love, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks, y'all. You can go back to your seat.
1: If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. As Sam said this morning, we are looking at verses 16 through 26. Acts chapter 16. Verses 16 through 26. And you'll remember uh, last Sunday uh, we saw how God's effective grace towards Lydia produced in her an effective faith, a, a faith that expressed itself in a, in a desire to use all of her wealth in the service of her Lord Jesus Christ to become Paul's partner in uh, the ministry of the gospel there in Macedonia. And in our text this morning, Paul is still in Philippi, and he is still going out to that place of prayer where he met uh, Lydia. He seems to be going out at least every Sabbath, if not every day. And in, the folk, in, the, in this center of the story, God's power is still uh, the focus. But this time, the focus is not directly on God's power to save sinners, the way that he saved Lydia. That's that's there, and it will certainly uh, return next Sunday. But rather, the the focus here in this interlude between the stories of Lydia and the story of the Philippian jailer, uh, the, the focus is on God's power to subdue and overcome all powers that might oppose him. We see this first in Paul's confrontation with the slave girl, this, this girl who harassed him as he was going out to the place of prayer. Not, not once, but for many days, we're told. And then again, uh, we see God's power on display in the confrontation that he has with uh, the slave girl's owners after he has cast out the evil spirit. And so in both these confrontations, the, the power of God is directly challenged And the power of God is ultimately demonstrated. And that is, I think, what this passage is really all about. At the heart of this passage is the clear demonstration of God's power. In this passage, we see that our God is greater than any power, spiritual or human, who might choose to oppose us and him. And so what I want us to do is simply first look at this confrontation that Paul has with the slave girl. Then I want us to to look more closely at the confrontation he has with her owners. And then finally, I want us to ask the significance uh, of uh, of these power encounters, the significance uh, of these displays of God's power for the church today. So let's begin with Paul's confrontation with the slave girl. Luke tells us that this girl uh, is a a slave. She is uh, at the opposite end of the social spectrum from Lydia. Remember, Lydia is a a wealthy merchant. She is a seller of expensive purple textiles there in Philippi. She is the owner of a large house that she wanted to to put at the disposal of Paul and his ministry team. But this girl, this girl is a, a slave, a slave who is used and abused by her owners uh, for their gain. And so, uh, she isn't the most likely candidate, at least at first glance, uh, for a a power encounter with God. She isn't the most likely one we would expect to, to challenge the authority of God there in Philippi. That is, until we read that she had a spirit of divination. Now the word that, Paul, or that Luke uses here is a word that is associated with the Oracle of Delphi, maybe the, the most famous fortune teller in the ancient world. And her owners leveraged uh, that association uh, to their own benefit. They, they used her so-called gift to employ her as a fortune teller there in Philippi. But, of course, this raises questions in our modern minds. What are we to make of this? Are we supposed to believe that this girl was really able to tell fortunes? Well, let's, let's think about what we know. We, we know that demons are real. In the modern world, we, we don't like to think about that, and we, we, we often sort of shuttle it to the back of our minds. But, but if we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then we cannot but believe that there are spiritual beings who are evil. Beings who are malicious against God's creation and against God's purposes. And we see one such spirit here. It is a, a spirit that is oppressing this girl. This, this spirit is real. Real. But let's also remember that demons are creatures. They are created by God. They are not God's equals. They they are not equal powers in the universe that stand over and against him. They are not omniscient, nor are they all-powerful, nor do they transcend time. but, But they are created beings. They are part of God's cosmos, just as we are. Yes, they are powerful, but they are not god And they do not know the future the way God does because they do not control the future the way God does. But they can put on a convincing display. And the people who employ fortune tellers, let's be honest, they they want to be convinced. That's why they're there. And so, I suspect that something like that is going on here. There is a real spirit involved, there is a real demon involved, and there are probably real displays of power uh, involved, uh, and the people who are going want to see uh, this spirit as the oracle of Delphi, as one who can tell them how to live in this world uh, for their greatest benefit. And that is why the, uh, the owners were able to employ this girl there in Philippi as a fortune teller because the people wanted to believe uh, that her uh, spirit of oppression was actually a gift. And so she had no shortage of customers. We're told there in verse 16 that she brought her owners much gain through her fortune teller. But she enters our story, not because she's a fortune teller, but because she begins following Paul around. And she begins crying out as she sees him going out to the place of prayer. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now again, to modern ears, that doesn't exactly sound like a challenge If anything, it might even sound like a surrender. These are the people who can tell you the way of salvation. That's the way that that we hear. But we have to understand that these words in an ancient attempt were actually a power grab. This is an attempt by the Spirit to claim some measure of authority over Paul and his team. By identifying and naming them as servants of the Most High, and then by recommending them uh, as those who proclaim the way of salvation, the Spirit is actually positioning itself as the greater power. To name someone in the ancient world uh, was to exercise power over them. We saw something similar to this during Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember that when the demons would cry out, we know who you are. That was not because the demons were ready to repent and bow the knee to to Jesus. That was them trying to claim power that they might protect themselves in the face of, of another power that was a threat. And this is why Jesus would never allow the demons to speak. He always silenced them. He always commanded them to be quiet and they had to obey. But they were trying, they were trying to position themselves as the authority or the the power. But Jesus always demonstrated that their claims were false. Jesus always demonstrated his superiority by silencing them. And I think something like that is going on here. The Spirit is is grasping for something. The Spirit is grasping for some sort of position of, of power by trying to claim that we know who you are. We can name you. But not only does the Spirit seek to name them, the, the Spirit also recommends them. The, the Spirit points out that, that they are proclaimers of the way of salvation. And again, that doesn't seem to our modern ears to be a power grab, but, but you have to remember that that's exactly what is going on here. The the Spirit is pointing them to to Paul as a messenger of salvation, and it's it's the Spirit's pointing uh, that uh, the Spirit wants you to see. In in pointing people to Paul, the the Spirit is positioning itself as the the one who truly knows the source of the way of salvation. If you want to know about salvation, you can talk to those people over there. That seems strange to us until we remember that we see the same phenomenon in our society all the time. Have you you heard of people who are referred to as influencers? You've probably heard of this, right? Well, influencers don't make anything. They don't actually produce anything. They merely point people to the right brands. And nevertheless, even though these influencers don't actually make anything themselves... They wield great power in the marketplace, so much so that, that brands will bow to them, brands will, will pay them, brands need them, because their recommendations can make or break a new product. And so the influencer has power by pointing people in the right direction. And that's what the Spirit is trying to be. He's trying to be an influencer, trying to position itself as the one who can make or break this proclaimer of salvation. And so in referring to Paul as a messenger of salvation, the slave girl is positioning herself as the real power. But of course, it doesn't work. Luke tells us that after several days of this, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And we see at the end of verse 18 that the Spirit came out of her that very hour. Now let me just say that for me this is one of the strangest scenes in all of Acts. I have, I have always been befuddled uh, by this picture of Paul freeing this girl from an evil spirit, not because he was moved with compassion, but because he was annoyed. And not immediately, but only after several days. I, honestly, I, I do not know what to make of it. And if you're confused by it, I'm not going to help you this morning. Uh, because I don't know. I don't know why Paul didn't cast out this demon the first time that he confronted the girl. I, I don't know why he only did it after several days or why he only did it after he became annoyed. But whatever the reason for the delay, in Paul's command and in the, the Spirit's immediate submission we see clearly that, that despite the, the claims of the Spirit through the girl's mouth, this Spirit is not the superior in this situation. This Spirit, like all spirits, is entirely and necessarily submissive to Jesus. So much so that the, the Spirit actually has to obey Jesus' servants The the, the Spirit is not God's equal in any way, but it submits to Paul's command in Jesus' name immediately because it cannot do otherwise. And So here in uh, in this girl's confrontation with Paul, we have a clear demonstration of God's power. A clear demonstration that, that this spirit, so revered there in the city of Philippi, is in no way Jesus equal. However, nothing more is said about the girl after the, the demon is cast out. Some commentators want to assume that she became a Christian, but we're not actually told that. Because that's not the focus of the story. The, the focus of the story is on, is on Jesus' superior power. And that continues in the next scene because immediately the focus shifts To her owners and Paul's confrontation with them. Luke tells us that when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the the rulers. Think of of the owners grabbing them and and going looking for a police officer to make a complaint. That's what's going on here. However, notice that uh, when they finally drag uh, Paul and Silas before the magistrates, before the the officials who can actually uh, put down a sentence, uh, they don't mention their slave, and they don't mention Paul freeing her from the evil spirit. Instead, they say, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. He says, they are advocating customs that it is not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, they don't specify the the customs that they have in mind, but but similar to the crowds that called for Jesus' crucifixion, these, these people are saying, in effect, you are no friend of Caesar and you are no friend of Rome if you allow these men to continue preaching and teaching in Philippi. These men are rightly regarded as enemies of the state. And so the owners are, are calling, basically, for, for the magistrates to use the power of Rome to punish these foreign troublemakers. And the magistrates seem to have uh, little choice but to comply. Luke tells us that having heard from these presumably well-known citizens, whoever it is that, that grabbed them, the, 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 the marketers of this girl's gift... Having heard from these well-known citizens of Philippi, uh, they uh, now must turn on these foreign troublemakers." That's exactly what the crowds do. They, they turn on Paul and Silas uh, and, and begin calling for their condemnations, and the magistrate feels compelled to have them arrested and beaten. And that may seem like a violation of due process, but due process didn't exist in the ancient world. This would have been standard practice uh, for dealing with troublemakers. This would have been standard practice for, for dealing with foreign disturbers of the peace. And Luke, uh, and, at, uh, and Luke tells us that after they were beaten with many blows, uh, they were then put into the stocks, which is a, a mild form of, of torture, and they were confined to the, to the inner most secure uh, prison. It seems, basically, that the, the magistrates are hoping to, to beat them and give them a very uncomfortable night, so that in the morning, when they are let go, they will just get out of town and never come back. They are, in effect, saying, this is our city. <laughs> we decide who's welcome here, and that is not you. This is them displaying their power as magistrates, as, as officiants of Rome's power. And in verse 24, it would appear uh, that the power play worked. <laughs> because Paul and, and Silas are beaten and prison. And so if you're following the divisions in the, the ESV and in many other English translations, if you just stopped reading there, you, you might be confused, but you have to keep reading. That's why I had, Paul, I had Sam read into verse 26, because we need to see that verse 24 is not the end of the story. That very night, we're told, God uses an earthquake to, to break their bonds and open the prison doors. Despite the magistrate's insistence that they be kept securely, even in the inner prison, God demonstrates his superior power. So that even though they're in their inner prison, even though they're in stocks, even though they're under careful guard, God is the one who is ultimately in control and God is the one who can easily set them free. So first, God's power is challenged by a well-known spiritual power there in Philippi. Then his power is is challenged by this human power, the the power of Rome there in Philippi, this Roman colony. And on both occasions, God's power is proven superior. In fact, God's power is is so far superior to those who who challenge him that he effectively renders his challengers powerless. And that is is the point. That's what Luke wants us to see. Even though Paul has has traveled into this new territory, into Philippi, God is still God. God is still the Almighty. God is still the one who has no rivals. The one who is with Paul is far greater than any power, human or spiritual, that might stand against him. And that is, I think, the primary significance of this passage for the church today. This is what we still need to see. As servants of Christ today, we need to know that the one who is with us is the same one who was with Paul. And he is still far greater than any power, human or spiritual, that might oppose us. And that is something that we need to know, because like that boy who was with Sam when it was getting dark, we can see the darkness coming, can we not? There is no doubt that our own country has become more negative towards Christianity, we no longer live in what Aaron Wren refers to as a positive world, a world where Christianity and Christians and the Christian ethic are viewed positively as contributors to the common good of society. We don't even live in a neutral world where the Christian ethic is viewed sort of as just one valid option among many. Now, our world is no longer positive or even neutral. It has become a negative world, a, a world where, where Christianity is seen as dangerous, destructive, and divisive. Christianity is seen as something to be controlled and mitigated. I saw this the other day in an online discussion about a, a new Christian school starting in, in Chattanooga. It was not viewed as Sort of no big deal as irrelevant. It certainly wasn't viewed as as positive. The idea that another Christian school was starting in Chattanooga was seen as a threat to the common good of the community. It was seen as as something entirely negative. Now again, uh, this is not a, a scientific polling of the community. This is though people who decided to, to comment on this particular post, but, but nevertheless, the comments were severe in the damage that yet another Christian school would do to the community, in the way that it would brainwash children, in the way that it would steal taxpayer money, even though Christian schools don't get taxpayer money. But never, never mind, truth, don't let it get in your way. Um, but again, it was just seen over and over and over again in the way that, that, that people saw this as, as yet another brick taken out of the foundation of our community. It was viewed as entirely negative, but of course, that's, that's one example that we, we see this negativity maybe most clearly in contemporary discussions of sexuality. What is referred to as the biblical sexual ethic, God's design for human sexuality, is now regarded as repressive, uh, as on the wrong side of history. The idea that sex should be reserved for marriage is, is viewed not only as passe and, and quaint, but as oppressive. To be dating is to be having sex, and that's the way that it should be. In fact, you don't even have to be dating to have sex. That's the the freedom that is yours as a human being. And anybody who would take that away is seeking to control you. And the idea that that homosexuality is unnatural and and unhealthy and therefore contrary to God's law, that too is, is viewed not merely as passé, but as hateful as akin to racism of the worst kind. And the idea that that God created men and women, male and female, and that as creatures we ought to uh, accept the way that God has given us as as for our own good, that is seen as intolerant and narrow-minded and mean. The biblical sexual ethic is not regarded as revealed truth. It's not even regarded as one legitimate choice among many It is regarded as a tool of oppression and hate. And of course you could multiply examples. More and more acknowledging and living under the authority of God's word makes you dangerous and despicable. And many Christians have already felt the the effects of this shift towards the negative. We, We think of the baker and the photographer, but there are many other examples that have received less publicity. And all Christians will feel the effects of this shift more and more in the years to come. We aren't yet being beaten with rods uh, for promoting customs unlawful for Americans to practice, but many of our views are seen as anti-American, and we are treated as enemies of the state with contempt and disdain. We know that Promotions can be forfeited, jobs even lost. We know that that friendships and even families can be fractured and torn apart. And this is a source of serious concern for, for many in the church. Many are worried about what is going to happen in their lifetime. Many more are worried about what their children are going to be forced to endure. Where are we headed? Where will this slide stop? I suspect that there are at least a few of you, if not many of you, here this morning who who feel this anxiety firsthand. We are worried. These are our worries. These are our concerns. And therefore, we need to know. We need to know that the one who is with us is greater than any power, human or spiritual, that might oppose us. The God who was with Paul in Philippi is the God who is with us. And he is so far superior to any who might oppose us as to render them powerless. Now don't misunderstand what this means. This doesn't mean that that we can't or or won't suffer. This doesn't mean that if you just stay in the center of God's will, you will be protected. We, We hear people talk that way sometimes and it's quite simply a lie. It's not what the Bibles speak. It's not what this passage says. I mean, uh, Paul was harassed for many days. And then, after being harassed for many days, he was falsely accused, unjustly arrested, beaten, and in prison. That doesn't sound like being in the center of God's will is some sort of safety net. But, while we may not face exactly the same hardships as Paul, uh, we will face hardships. We will suffer and this means that, that you cannot look at your circumstances to decide whether God is for you, or to, whether God is, is with you. That God is with you is seen in the person of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he willingly humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, to enter into the misery of this present evil age that he might bring us. Out, that he might bring many sons to glory. The Father did not spare his own Son. The Jesus did not spare himself, but rather he came to be with us, to, to suffer alongside us, that, that he might deliver us from the curse due to us for our sins. He knows our plight because he entered into it with us. But more than that, not only did he enter into it for us, but, but, but he conquered it. He is Jesus, the, the risen Lord. And therefore, we can know that God is with us and that he is greater than those who oppose us. But not only is he with us, he is also for us. We sometimes think that, well, yes, God is great, God is, is strong, but, but is he really for me after all? I'm... I've been unfaithful. After all, I, I, have, I have failed. After all, I have, I have sinned against him so many times. And we can sometimes think that we may have forfeited God's blessing and protection because of our sins. That, that what is happening to us is, is because we have, we have somehow uh, uh, r- r- jettisoned God's blessing. But you must understand that if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior and are now resting upon him... You are his child, his beloved child. And as Sam said, when, when children sin, they do not cease to be objects of their father's affection. I mean, you may have some sin that you need to confess. If you do, confess it even this morning, but do not think that your suffering is some sort of punishment for your sin. If you are in Christ, you are not being punished. Your punishment has been paid in full. Jesus drank to the dregs the cup of God's wrath. The record of debt that was against you was nailed to his cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you do not yet know Him as your Lord and Savior, He is even now standing with open arms calling you to repent and and come to Him and find rest. Receive Him as Lord and Savior. Believe upon Him for your salvation and you will be saved. All of those benefits that we're talking about in our confession, they will be yours. You will be justified. You will be adopted. You will be sanctified and you will be kept by his power in faith until the end when you receive your full inheritance. Yes, you may suffer in this present evil age, even as Paul suffered. For God uses sufferings to, to discipline his children, to, to shepherd them towards greater maturity, to, 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 to strengthen them that they might walk a more, uh, holy, in a more holy way. But if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation, there is no punishment. The things that you suffer, God is using for your good. Because whatever powers oppose you, they cannot oppose the one who is with you. And they cannot oppose the one who is for you. Yes, they can cause you to suffer. But they cannot ultimately harm you. Because God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. And that means that we can entrust ourselves to him even as we serve him. Paul's calling was to, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles there in Macedonia. We don't have exactly the same calling, but we are all servants of Christ. We are all called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We are all called to, to do his good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do, to honor him as our Lord in all things. And that will be costly. That will sometimes hurt. But you can serve him without fear or reservation. Because he is with you. And he alone is the Almighty. Doesn't mean you should go looking for trouble. We're not to throw ourselves off the roof of the the temple. But we should be prepared for trouble to find us. Because it will. And it will more and more in the days ahead. But, but, we must not lose heart. On the contrary, we must take heart as we entrust ourselves to God in the name of his Son. For he is greater than any power, spiritual or human, that might seek to oppose us. And contrary to all of their efforts, he will work things together for the good of those who love him. He is our mighty fortress. He is our bulwark never failing. He is our helper amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And because he is, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, thank you for this glorious display of your power. Father, it's not what the world would, would think of as power because Paul is still beaten, because Paul is still imprisoned, because Paul is still harassed. But Father, may we understand that your power, while it is not what the the world expects, it is a power far greater than they can comprehend. It is a power that can work for good even in the midst of their worst assaults. And so, Father God, teach us to rest in you, teach us to entrust ourselves to you, and teach us to to do those good works that you have prepared for us to do, knowing, Father, that while we may suffer, we cannot be truly harmed, because you are for us in the person of your Son, the risen Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.